The Bible tells us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. It's big fancy Bible terms for the fact that God... Son, Jesus Christ, was wounded on the cross for the junk and the crud in your life and my life. Every time we failed, it was part of the wounds that he experienced and the beating that he went through on the cross. You know, Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So so you understand, like for a brief moment in eternity, the Son knew separation from the Father because he became... The stench, the nastiness of your sin and my sin. Every bit of it. So he becomes your sin, he becomes my sin on the cross, and he dies to pay the penalty for that sin. And here's what amazes me. If you're like me and we were to get honest and we were to display on that big chalkboard in the sky all the stuff I've ever said, done, thought, wished I could have done... And the idea that there's nothing that you have done or will ever do that Jesus Christ didn't know about when he died on the cross. I mean, think about that for a minute, sir. There's never going to come a time in your life where God's going to say, if I'd have known he was going to do that, I wouldn't have died for him. Young lady, there's never going to come a time in your life where Jesus is going to say, if I'd known she was going to use her body in that way, I would not have gone to the cross for her. If I knew you were going to punk out on me, teenager, I wouldn't have done what I did. Now, I'll be honest. If I were God or you were God and we treated God the way we do treat God sometimes, I'd have zapped you a long time ago. (laughs) And you would too. That's why we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He flat knew about it and died for every bit of it. Just because of that, if nothing else, we have cause to celebrate and to say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. That was not my message. That was free. I won't charge you extra for that. Titus chapter 2. Are we good on the microphone tonight, guys? Oh, we, uh, I messed it up last night. I stuck it in my pocket and all that. But anyway, uh, so back before the days of electricity and automobiles, there was a farmer who had hired a younger guy to work for him on his farm. And one night, that young guy decided he was going to go to court and go see a young lady. So he grabbed a gas lantern. He began to make his way up the old dusty country roads. And he was headed out to go see this young lady. And the farmer said to him, what are you doing with that lantern? He said, well, it's dark and I'm going to, I'm going to court and see this young lady. That old farmer said, back in my day, we didn't use no lanterns. We walked in the dark. We went on a, to the date in the dark. We came home in the dark. And the young guy responded, yeah, and look what you got. <laughs> Somebody said, marriage is when you agree to spend the rest of your life sleeping in a room that's too hot next to somebody that's too cold. Somebody else said, marriage teaches you loyalty, forbearance, self-restraint, and a lot of other qualities you would never need if you just stayed single. These two ladies were working in a beauty salon one afternoon and the young girl asked the older lady there, she said, I'm dating this guy and it's getting pretty serious and we're starting to talk about marriage and I'm thinking about getting matching tattoos. To which the older lady responded, wait a minute, wait a minute now. She said, marriage is one thing, but tattoos, that's forever. We live in a world and a society, excuse my language, but that has a bunch of jacked up ideas about what marriage is supposed to be. We talk about revival and seeing God move, and I think tonight, textually, I'll be able to show you at the core of who God's people are and what we are called to do is this return to biblical manhood and womanhood. And the truth of the matter is, either you are married or you probably will become married someday, and if not, it's for one reason, that you stay single for single-mindedness in ministry, but it was God's plan from the foundation of this earth that at the home, we learn how to love God, and we learn how to love others. And when it goes well with the home, it goes well with society. The Bible, men, says to us in Proverbs 18, verse 22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor, obtains grace with the Lord. Sir, did you know that God bringing that woman into your life 
God giving that wife was a part of God's grace toward you. And she ought to be treated the way we handle everything else that God gives us as a gift of grace. And there's an accountability and a responsibility and a stewardship that comes with the gifts of God. He's a gift. Guys, you, you had your turn last night. I want to talk to the ladies tonight. But listen, as we, we dig into the text as it relates to ladies, there's something for all of us to hear. And we have to ask the question, am I the kind of man who encourages and brings out these things and appreciates these things in the woman who God has given me? I do a lot of my studying in uh, coffee shops, uh, especially when I traveled today. I was at the mall and I sat in Starbucks and I got on the Internet and I was working and that's just what I do. And when I was writing this series of messages, it's a whole series on relationships that rock, biblical manhood, womanhood, some other things. And uh, I, I was, I, when I worked on this ladies' part in particular, I read a bunch of books on like Becoming a Woman of Excellence and How to Be the Woman God Created You to Be. And I got some real funny looks sitting <laughs> in those coffee shops. But ladies, I, I found a quote from Beth Empson. I, I, we may have it up here on the screen or not, but here's what she wrote on biblical womanhood. It isn't a matter of figuring out what men want us to be or what other women want us to be or what we in our sinful flesh want to be. It's a matter of figuring out what God intends us to be. I made reference last night to having this list of what I wanted in a wife and society has this list and what a a real woman is or these expectations. Even the church sometimes says, well, this is what a real lady is or what a real woman. And I've got to imagine it's got to be a very difficult time to be a woman today if you listen to all these outside voices about what you're supposed to be when the real question is, who did God create you to be? Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. The top of most of my sermon notes, I write this little phrase, success is faithfulness to God's word. So when I finish preaching a message and I sit down, I don't measure the success of the message by how many people say good job or how many people respond to the invitation. I ask myself, because you get real caught up in that, I ask myself this question, was I faithful to God's word? As a husband and as a father, when I come to the end of the day and get to the end of my life, the question isn't going to be how many people did I get to preach to or how many people were oohed and awed. The question is, was I faithful to God as a father and as a husband? Even as a pastor, it's not about getting the right strategy and doing the right things. The question is, am I faithful to God's word? For you, as you measure yourself, and listen, we are so guilty of measuring ourselves by somebody else. You think, well, at least I'm not like they are. Like, that impresses God. I'm not out in the clubs, you know. I'm not out. Yeah, that's a guy. Like, I'm, you know, I stay away from the bad stuff, and I, I spend time with my family, you know, and I'm not murdering anybody or nothing, you know, just watching TV, as if that's what God saved you for. <laughs> And stay with me. Where I come from, we call that a good old boy or a good old gal, you know. But God's got something even greater for you than just staying away from the big bad stuff. Titus chapter 2 deals with the issue of biblical manhood and womanhood. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to Titus. And just a little background. Titus was a pastor of First Baptist Church Crete. (laughs) Not really, but he was a pastor on the island of Crete. Now you need to understand something about Crete. It's nothing like... Nightdale. It's nothing like Wake County, but Crete was a place that had girls gone wild before anybody ever had the video. <laughs> Crete was the kind of place that you would go to live however you wanted to live with no fear of judgment. Why, Crete was a really tough place to live for God because everything around you in the island of Crete was pulling you away from the things of God. It seemed like every place you went, every place, every marketplace, the educational system, the people you lived next to, immorality was in and it was cool. And when you walked out the door of your house, it seemed like everything around you was pulling you away from the stuff that you had just studied in the scriptures. That's nothing like where you live. But pretend with me today that you live someplace that's difficult to live for God. Let's approach the text with this, the text with this question. God, how do we do it in such an ungodly world? Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. If you got it, say got it. If you don't, say hold on. All right, here we go. We're going to start in verse 1, but I'm going to focus on verse 3. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. Verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, 
not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. God in heaven, we ask you to honor your word once again tonight and speak through the power and the spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you four characteristics tonight of a woman who rocks. A woman whose life is built on the rock of Christ Jesus. Number one, a woman who rocks, she looks like a model. She looks like a model. Verse three, that the older women... The term older there is simply a relative term. There is no specific age in mind. It's simply someone who is older than someone else. It was Bob Hope who said, you know you're old when the candles cost more than the cake. It was Agatha Christie who said she married an archaeologist because the older she got, the more he would appreciate her. When he talks about older women, he's simply talking about someone who, one, in age is older than someone else. But with that assumption, they're also more mature or older in the faith than someone else. But there is no specific age here in, mentioned. So we're not just talking about senior adults or people in their 40s or 30s. I mean, we could be talking about a, a teenager who's older than a middle schooler. Someone who's older than someone else in the, the faith. They're model in, in several areas. First of all, they're model in their conduct. They are models in their conduct that the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. The word reverent there could also be translated priest-like in their behavior. The word behavior comes from the same word that we get our word fragrance, that they be priest-like in their fragrance, that they smell like preachers, right? Now, why would he pick this particular set of words to describe the behavior or the conduct of a godly woman? Well, when a priest was about the business of doing priestly work, a lot of times when they're sacrificing those animals, what are they doing? They're, they're burning them at the altar. And when they're doing priestly work, what are they doing? They're burning incense, right? And so when a priest had been in the temple doing priestly work, there was a distinct fragrance about that priest. And it was obvious, listen, it was obvious when they had been in the presence of God by their fragrance. You know what he's saying here is there ought to be something about your behavior that gives evidence to the fact that you spent time with God. I hated middle school. Anybody in middle school in here? We got any middle schoolers? What's up? Represent? Woo woo. All right. So I hated middle school. Don't listen to this part. When I was in middle school, I like tried so hard to fit in and like I wanted to do like the whole like Michael Jackson hairdo and like pants and all that back when he was a black man. Anyway, so I wanted to like, and it was a miserable time in my life. I remember... In sixth grade, I'd gotten off the bus, and to get to the sixth grade pod, you had to walk past the eighth grade pod. And one morning, I got off the bus, and there were some eighth grade girls kind of standing outside the eighth grade pod. And so, you know, because, like, I'm cool like that. I had my Scooby-Doo lunchbox and stuff, and I'm trying to get my, like, little strut on. I don't know if you figured out this out yet or not, but I am so uncool. But anyway, so I'm trying to get my cool strut on or whatever. And I remember walking past those girls. And, man, I remember this. And, uh, and feeling something on my neck, like, wet, like and I turn around, and one of those eighth-grade girls is running around. <laughs> and so I keep walking, and after a few minutes, I'm like, what's that smell? And it's like some flowery, like, cheap, nasty. One of them had sprayed some, like, cheap Kmart perfume on me or something on my neck. And so, look, if middle school's not bad enough, all day long, I walk around and smell like a flowery girl all day in middle school, which is great for your self-esteem when you're in the sixth grade. But, you know, there was a, there was a distinct fragrance. You know, I think if I could survey this church and say, I want everybody to take out a sheet of paper. If you've been here for a while, I want you to write down the names of women in this church, women in your student ministry or youth group who you think consistently spend time alone with God. And I bet there'd be lots of names, but I bet there'd be a few names, a handful of names that would show up on everybody's list. And they may not be on any big committee and they may not be the best looking or the most articulate or whatever else. But listen, you can only fake it for so long. And when somebody spends consistent time with God, it changes the way they walk and the way they talk and the way they treat others. Uh, she's a model in her conduct. She's priest-like in her behavior or her fragrance. She's a model in her 
conduct. I'll tell you this, and man, I, I like y'all, so y'all get little extra stories thrown in here and there. You know what's really cool is when you walk into a restaurant like Outback or something, Outback, Pastor, y'all got Outback around here? Maybe we should go check it out. Like, anyway, you walk into a restaurant like Outback, and you know where the bar area is kind of close to the front door? Yes, Chili's is like that kind of too. You know what's really awesome, especially the young ladies in the room, those of you who are single, you know what a guy likes to walk in? He likes to walk in and see like three or four girls standing around the bar with beer in one hand, like a cigarette in the other hand, you know, which you can't do that anymore indoors. But And then they got like, all these like curse words coming out of their mouths, you know, and stuff. A guy sees that and he's like, yeah, I'm going to take her home to meet mama. That's the keeper. We'll talk more about that in a minute. She's a model in her conduct. She's a model also in her conversation. Not slanderers. Some of your Bibles say not gossipers. You know, it's interesting. The word that he uses here for the word gossip comes from the root word diabolos. Ring a bell? Why, 34 times in the Bible, the New Testament is used for the name of Satan. Why? It's almost as if what he's implying is that one of the most Satan or devil or evil-like things we do is to slander people with our words. Here's what I love about good Southern Baptist churches. It's good Southern Baptist churches preach against all the big bad sins, the ones that you can like visibly see and are noticeable, those big bad ones. But when it comes to the area of gossip, well, I'm just sharing a prayer request. Gossip or slander, words that are intentionally malicious and tearing others down behind their back. Somebody said flattery is something saying something about someone to their face that you would never say behind their back. And gossip is saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. Malicious words, intentional in tearing somebody else down. Someone said keep your words soft and sweet. You never know when you may have to eat them. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Question, let's say I'm having a day, a, a difficult day, and I'm struggling. Maybe I work in a workplace with you, and I happen to run into you in the break room or in the lunch room. Question, are your words words that give grace to those who hear? I mean, would I have been refreshed if I had to run into you in the middle of a long or difficult day or the end of a difficult day? When I walk into your house, if I were your spouse, thank God I'm not. But if I were and I walked into your house, would the things that you say give grace to those who hear them? In studying this, I found an acrostic when it comes to saying something that may be controversial, considered gossip or slanderous. We should think. Necrostic, T-H-I-N-K, think. T, ask this question, is it true? If what I'm about to say to you about someone else that may be potentially harmful or hurtful, is it true? Do I know for a fact that it's true? H, is it helpful? Or edifying or, or building up, is this helpful? Is this going to help someone? The thing that I'm about to say that is potentially damaging or slanderous towards someone else, is it going to help anybody or anything if I say it? And make no mistake about it, sometimes we need to say difficult things and there is a helpful or an edificating, edification process. What is that word? I'm making up words. An edifying process as a result of saying those words. I, is it inspiring? Is it going to inspire somebody in their walk or relationship with Christ? N, is it necessary? Do I... Do I need to say this? I'm, I'm back on a church staff for two, it's, it's been two and a half years. I was on church staff years before, ago before I was in evangelism. But when you're in a church staff, you hear it all. You hear the good, you hear the bad, you hear the ugly. And a lot of conversations start like this. Did you hear about so-and-so? <laughs> right? And it gets to the point where you've heard enough stuff. You start asking the question, do, hold on, time out. Do, do I need to hear this? Because a gossip's got to have somebody to gossip too, Right? <laughs> Is it necessary? K, is it kind? Is it kind? And listen, sometimes the kindest thing you can do is to confront somebody about their sin or the fact that they have wandered or they're wayward or strayed in their walk with God or going to somebody in their life who you believe can do or be a part of that process in restoring them and redeeming them back to right standing with God. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And if not, shut 
your mouth. She's a model in her conversation. Thirdly, she's a model in her control. She's a model or a picture of self-control. Now, he says the end of verse 3, not given to much wine. Some of your Bible say not addicted or enslaved or in bondage to wine. It was characteristic of this Greek culture to indulge in alcohol or drunkenness. It was a picture of a lack of self-control or a lack of restraint. And so he says here, this particular woman is in control of her appetites and her appetites are not in control of her. And I, I don't want you to answer this question. And I don't want you to lift your hand, but guys, ladies included, hey, question right now in your walk with God, are you more in control of your body or is your body more in control of you? By the way, I, I, this whole issue always comes up, drinking, and we're Baptists, you know, what's the whole deal? I, I, I'll just tell you where I am on the drinking thing. I think the Bible always condemns strong drink, all right? Always condemns strong drink. Wine, sometimes it condemns it, sometimes it does not condemn wine. I think biblically, sometimes historically, wine was strong drink, and sometimes it was not strong drink. I believe most of what you find in our liquor sections and stores today, or alcohol sections, would have fallen into a biblical category of strong drink based on their alcohol content but for what it's worth the writer of ephesians says this do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit it's a control issue right so if i am drunk with wine question do i talk the same way no i ain't been drinking officer i mean i had a couple of beers but i ain't beat her right it just kind of i don't talk the same way question if i am controlled by the spirit of god do i talk the same way Oh, it changes the way I talk and the words I use. Now, my, my kids, five, four, and a year and a half almost or so, you know, that they've never heard a curse word come out of daddy's mouth. They've heard some out of mama's. Just kidding. They've never heard a curse word. <laughs> I can't talk about it when she's not here. I mean, y'all can meet my wife. She's awesome. Listen, we, we don't have a list of words in our house that you can say or can't say. We don't. But there is something about pursuing God, the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. That changes your conversation, the kind of words you use. If I am drunk with wine, do I walk the same way? There was a few weeks ago, I was driving down the road, and I saw a guy out there doing the whole field sobriety test, you know, doing the whole thing and watching that. And my son, he is such, he like, cops was on, like we had left the TV on in a room, and I walk in, and he's watching cops. He's like, oh, dang, this is good. They're getting the bad guy. I'm like, we can't watch this. He's like, oh. He's, anyway, he's four, and he is all boys. When I'm drunk with wine, I don't walk the same way, do I? When I'm controlled or filled with the Spirit of God, do I walk or live the same way? No, it, it changes, changes my life. When you and I yield to the Spirit of God, you know what happens? We begin to control our appetites, and our appetites do not control us. My woman rock, she's a model of control by God's grace. So she looks like... A model. Here's the second characteristic of a woman who rocks. Number two, she looks like a mentor. She looks like a mentor. The end of verse three says this, that she's a teacher of good things. Inside that word teacher is the idea of admonition. Uh, verse four, that they admonish the young women. Why? What he's getting at here is that the primary responsibility of older women is younger women. The word teach implies training the art of self-control. The training process involves a relationship, an ongoing relationship of responsibility, confrontation, and affirmation. The idea here also contained in this word is describing the outfitting of a ship for a long journey. If you're a woman in this room, you're wondering about your purpose in life and your place in ministry, what God has called you to, you really need to look no Further, your purpose in life, your purpose in the faith is to pour yourself into someone else who is younger in faith. When Lauren Kate, is it okay if I talk about my kids? I'm starting to miss them. And when Lauren Kate was just learning to walk right around, I guess, 13 months or so, I think she started 11 months. But anyway, I remember being in Old Navy one day. And by the way, we weren't in Old Navy because I like Old Navy, but I like my wife and that's where she wanted to go. And so I was in Old Navy and uh, we're walking through the store and my wife is shopping. and I'm kind of chasing Lauren Kate around the store and she's kind of just waddling, you know, and she'd waddle and she'd fall and get up and waddle and fall. And hey, young girls, you know what she did every time she saw an older girl like elementary age or middle school age? You know what she did every time she saw one? She'd stop and she'd just stare. Just stare. And after a few minutes, you know what she'd do? 
She'd walk over to this complete stranger of a young girl and do this right here. (laughs) Even at that age, she was watching. Can Can I talk to the the teenagers and students in the room for a minute? Any high schoolers in here? Any high schoolers? What's up? Represent. Woo-woo. It's all really cool that I'm not. That's okay. Don't tweet about me or Facebook me or any of that. By the way, like this whole Facebook thing, like when I was a kid, if somebody poked me, I would punch them, so I don't get all that. But, um, hey, high schoolers, do you remember when you were in middle school and you saw the high school kids? You're like, ooh, big senior high school girl. I hope she doesn't eat me. Ah, you know? And you're watching. Hey, middle schoolers, do you remember when you were in elementary school and you saw the middle schoolers? You're like, dude, that guy is so big and so he's so cool. Like, look at him between the back. They're watching. Hey, senior adults, the middle-aged folks in this room, they're watching how you live the fourth quarter of your life. They're watching whether or not you get sweeter and gollier or meaner and bitter. And we've already established the fact we don't have any mean, bitter ones here. But you're, you get the idea. See, this, this is God's plan all along. That this discipleship process, it be done one person at a time while somebody else is pouring themselves into somebody else and allowing somebody else to pour into us. That was part of God's plan all along that we would learn and disciple and teach and model and train and have these ongoing relationships with each other. There's a handful of men who right now I could pick up my phone and I could call and guys who God has put in my life who pour into me and if I got to make a decision or I need help or I'm struggling. And, and there's a handful of young guys who, man, if you'll call the ministry or just young guys who become close friends who know that anytime they can call me up or if I'm going someplace and I'm driving, they can get in the car and they can ride with me. Why? Because I'm letting some people pour into me and there's some other people that I'm pouring into. And in order to be in those kind of relationships, there has to be teachability and openness, but also a willingness to pour into somebody else. Why, if we're going to pursue biblical womanhood and have a church that experiences a season of revival, there will be a fresh sense of my responsibility to open up my life and to pour into somebody else and this rugged individualism where I got my stuff together and I don't have time for anybody else because God has blessed me with so much other stuff to take to be a part of. I don't have time to do with the things of God. Hey, can I, can I just give you throw a word out there? Don't ever let the blessings of God be an excuse to keep you from serving him. Well, I, Pastor, I would go on that mission trip, but you know, I've got a job and got business to take care of. You know, I'd go, but God's giving me so many other blessings. I can't, I can't serve. You know, I would serve in that particular team or that particular ministry, but to be honest, I'm so busy handling all this other stuff. I, you know, I would go on that mission trip, but I've got kids and a family. You know, don't ever let God's blessing be an excuse to keep you from serving him. Healthy church is formal or informal mentoring relationships. Thirdly, she looks like a model. She looks like a mentor. Number three, a woman who rocks looks like a mom. She looks like a mom. Now, here's the deal. Every lady will not be a mom. After going through the process of losing our first baby, I understand that it takes an act of God to make a baby. It just, it's a miracle of God. Every one of them is a gift of his grace. Whether you are a mom or will ever be a mom, we all should appreciate and value family. This woman who looks like a mom, she has four, four priorities. Her first priority is her home. It's her home. The Bible says uh, they admonish young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Through verse 5, it says to be homemakers. You may or may not realize this, young people, but your homes are under attack. The whole idea, this like husband, wife, family thing, you, you get the, one of the most wealthiest women in the world, Oprah Winfrey, has said that marriage has run its course, served its purpose. You don't, probably don't get all into politics and stuff, but there's a lady who sits in the Supreme Court 
Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like who cares about all this like Supreme Court and who becomes president? Well, they get to pick and nominate who the next Supreme... Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued, get this, that pregnancy, ladies, should be treated as a disability rather than a gift from God. And that it forces women into a subordinate status in society. Justice Ginsburg believes that if you're a mom or you've been pregnant, you have somehow been placed into a lower status... In society. Feminist author of University of Illinois says that being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. Sheila Cronin, radical feminist leader, said since marriage constitutes slavery from women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, made this statement. The most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. There is an organized effort that's attacking the home and the place of women inside the home and how they work in the home and the priority of the home. He says, admonish them, train them, teach them how to love their husbands, how to love their children, how to be home workers. Two words, they, they work and they, they're at their homes. Paul, I believe, is not arguing that it's a sin for women to work, by the way. The Proverbs 31 woman. What did she do? She bought and sold real estate at the city gate. She traded and traded. But listen, her home was always her priority. So I'm getting at this. For those of you ladies who something inside of you says, you know, all I've ever wanted to do was to love my husband and to raise godly kids. You know, there's something inside of me that I I don't necessarily want to get all the degrees and stuff. And I just want to have a home and and kids. Don't let anybody tell you that that's not right. It is a God-given desire. Those of you who do work, I'll be careful how I say, I understand, please think you always ought to make sure it's for needs and not for greeds, and it never causes your home to cease to be a priority in your life. Her priority is her home. The Bible also goes on to say her priority is is her head. It says that she is discreet, verse 5. She is sober or serious-minded or level-headed or she exercises good judgment. Well, no wonder the Proverbs 31 woman's husband fully trusted in her because she had sound judgment. Now, I, I know the stereotype that a lot of times we as guys are a little bit more level-minded and rational thinking and you ladies sometimes in general stereotypically are a little bit more emotional in your decision-making process but that is never an excuse not to learn how to be sound-minded and make good decisions and have level judgments i have good news and bad news for the young ladies and the single ladies in the house the good news is this the bible never says you have to be a good cook to be a wife <laughs> a good wife <laughs> seems like it's becoming a rarer and rarer trait these days <laughs> but it does say You should know how to make good decisions. Not like the husband who was sitting in bed with his wife one night, and he said, honey, you must think I'm a perfect idiot. And she said, no, no, not perfect. Nobody's perfect. (laughs) Her home's a priority. Her head's a priority. Her heart is a priority. Uses the word there, chaste. She's discreet. She's chaste. She's morally pure. She's virtuous. Sexually faithful to her husband. Teach them that they're be devoted to one man. And that's it. That she's morally pure. Some interesting verses. Some of you are familiar with these. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God, I don't think he's arguing that you shouldn't wear jewelry, but I do think he's arguing that your beauty should not be defined by your cosmetics. Like the old country preacher said, the barn looks good with a little paint on it every now and then, right? <laughs> but that shouldn't define you. My, I, I, I believe my Lauren Kate and my Gracie, Lauren Kate's older, but I believe Lauren Kate is one of the prettiest little girls on the planet. 
But I promise you, before Lauren Kate could ever talk, I began to say stuff like this to her. Lauren Kate, who made you? I'm telling you, when, by the time she was two years old, Lauren Kate, who made you? God. How did he make you? God. We're still working on the second part. <laughs> but now, now, as a five-year-old, she can say fearfully and wonderfully. Well, I never want my little girl to think that what makes her beautiful is her external appearance. But it's her creator. That her, her beauty is based on her inherent worth of her creator. That's what makes her beautiful. And I pray something like this. God, I pray that my little girl will always be as pretty on the inside as she is on the outside. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry. No weaves, ladies. Just kidding. <laughs> wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I, I, I want to speak to the younger people. Y'all are here, and so, man, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here, and so I don't want to ignore the fact that there's teenagers and, and young kids in the room. I was at a camp one summer, and Dave Adams was preaching on the attire of a harlot, prostitute about three or 400 students, and Dave said, I don't want any of the ladies to say anything. But he said, guys, what do you think of when you think of the attire of a harlot? Teenage young man, middle school and high school. And the guys started saying stuff like, you know, real short skirts and tight-fitting blouses and low-cut dresses, kind of going down the, the whole list of things. And Dave said, ladies, you, you understand when guys see that, they don't think, oh, what an awesome fashion statement. She really knows how to accessorize. <laughs> they think, she's for sale. Dave used to walk through the mall with his daughters, and he said when they would see a young lady who was immodestly dressed, he would say something like this. Darling, do you see that little girl over there? Her daddy doesn't love her. My wife hates when I tell this story. Her daddy doesn't love her. Because if he did, he wouldn't let her dress that way. There are some of you in this room, and you have a mom and dad who have set some standards up for you and some guidelines in place, and I promise you, it's not because they don't love you. They, they don't want anybody to think their little girl's for sale. And can I tell you something else? There are also some students in this room, most likely, if it's like the majority of our church in America, they'd give just about anything to have a mom or dad would even show up to church, much less love them enough to put some standards into place. Maybe, just maybe, you can cut mom and dad some slack. If you don't have those kind of parents in place, can I say something to you? God desires to love you, and God's a perfect dad. He's never going to check out on you, and he does love you. But maybe, just maybe, you ought to pray something like this. God, would you let it start with me? God, would you let me maybe grow up and have a godly home and be that godly example and be the faithful dad who doesn't check out and the, the godly mom who loves her daughter the way she's supposed to? Mom, maybe you could work with dad a little bit. Let me just say, since we're going down this road, ladies, every man is not trying to undress you with his eyes. There's some men in this room who want to honor you like the beautiful creation God intended you to be. They want to respect you the way God intends for us to respect you. We sure do appreciate when you help us out. <laughs> there are godly guys. There are men trying to do the right thing. See, this whole biblical manhood, womanhood thing, there are lots of implications, right? You're going to see when we get this just how significant it is. Her purity, her heart is important to her. Finally, her hospitality is a priority. 
He goes on and says, teach them what to be discreet, discreet, chaste, homemakers. He uses the word good. Some people say that she's kind. She's kind. <laughs> some, some of you know pop music a little better probably than I do, but like, I don't know if you've seen like videos and like the latest thing in, in like pop secular music, like this whole like pain Christina Aguilera thing. They're like always yelling at Lance Moore. I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> There's this thing being portrayed in popular media that, like, to be a woman, you got to be, like, hard and rough and all this. The Bible's like, there's nothing wrong with being kind. There's nothing wrong with being good. Why, a, a godly woman is somebody he enjoys being around because she's, she's kind. She's kind. And when God sends a revival, there's a spirit of kindness and gentleness. And not this crass, edgy, hard. It's a priority to her that she's hospitable. That people enjoy being around her. A woman who rocks, she looks like a mom. Number four, a woman who rocks, she looks motivated. And I I want you to see what's happening here. She looks motivated. He ends verse 5, and by the way, the whole obedient to their husbands thing, the submissive thing, where I didn't skip over that just for the sake of time, but husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, you submit to your husband as to the Lord. And by the way, when he's talking to husbands, wives, he's not talking to you. When he says to husbands, husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church, that's not for you wives to run and go, you ain't love me like Christ loved. That's not, he's not talking to you. And guys, when he's telling the women to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, he's not talking to you. Woman, you're supposed to submit. Now get over here and cook me some dinner. Submit. Yeah, that's not what's happening here. As to the Lord. It's ultimately because of my relationship with him, with Christ. He doesn't say submit to him if he's walking with God. He doesn't submit to him if he's a good husband or a good leader. It's as to the Lord. This is part of my worship to the Lord. It's part of my home being a priority. I want my home to be a place that magnifies Christ, which leads us to the end of verse 5. Here it is. This is awesome. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Don't miss this. When our homes do not model biblical manhood and womanhood and God's standard for the home, we deny the book we say we believe. So here's the deal. When you come to church and play the church game and you're a Sunday school teacher, and then you go home and treat your wife like garbage, and your teenager all of a sudden decides they don't want anything to do with church, you know what you've done? You've denied the very word you say you believe. The Bible's very clear. It's not just what we say we believe. It's how we live. You are blaspheming the word of God. You're home doesn't practice what this book teaches. Back up to verse 1. Before he talks about all this like men teach men, women teach women thing, but as for you, speak the things which are proper or becoming of sound doctrine. You know, I go to some places, people are like, we're not all into that doctrine stuff. It's just Jesus and Jesus saves. Dude, Jesus saving is doctrine. It means teaching. It's good teaching. Please don't be that person. As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The word could also be translated becoming. So ladies, you might wear a particular color, and somebody say, oh, that particular color of blue is very becoming of you. It enhances it. It beautifies. Why? When our homes function this way, we beautify the gospel. We proclaim. It makes us better evangelists. Man, I want to be careful how I say what I say. But in my wife's family, she did not grow up in a Christian home. When she was 16 years old, for the very first time, she heard the gospel because she liked some hairy-legged boy who took her to a Bible study. I thank God for the hairy-legged boy, but I'm glad I got her and he didn't. But he took her to a Bible study. She heard the gospel and she got saved. Her mom, to this day, still does not embrace the gospel. But I promise you, she looks at her home and goes, I've never seen anything like it. 
She thinks we're just really good people, but my wife over and over, no, Mom, it's Christ. It's Christ. Never seen a man sacrificially leading the home. And dude, I do not get it all right, so please don't think I'm saying I'm something else that I'm not. But we pursue godly, godly living in our home. We do. By God's grace, we do. And our families notice it. We had an issue with her dad. And man, by God's grace, we res- hey, as a Christian, we respond to people based on who we are, not who they are. Right? So if somebody treats me like an idiot doesn't mean I have to respond like an idiot. I don't have that freedom to respond like an idiot. I'm not an idiot. They're the idiot. <laughs> Just kidding. So I respond to people, <laughs> listen, based on who I am, not who they are. So if somebody responds to me in unkind, doesn't mean I have to respond back in unkind. No, I'm different, man. Spirit of God's inside me. I respond different. So with her dad in this particular situation, we responded in kind and with grace. Men tried to work through And men, there was great reconciliation. One of her uncles said, well, you may forgive Bill, but if I see him, I'm going to kick him in the foot. We're like, thank you for that word of testimony. <laughs> but can I, can I tell you something? Her dad, he stood up and there was an issue he dealt with. Man, he confessed it to his whole church. He called us, confessed it, and apologized to us. And family member by family member since then, he is reconciled with each and every one of them. It's part of the gospel, right? When he was come to visit, they grew up divorced. He came to visit his several daughters, different women, kind of long story. But he said to her, you're not like your sisters. What's the difference? My wife as an 18-year-old girl was able to lead her dad to faith in Jesus Christ. This, this isn't like some, well, we, we have family, family values and politics over here. We have the church of, no, you can't separate them. You want to experience revival? You get your home. You start with your home. You start with you. Am I the man God's calling me to be? Am I the woman God's calling me to be? Am I growing up and maturing to be the teenager God's calling me? Which, by the way, now's the time to start. And then somehow in God's greatness and God's love and God's grace, he puts together this picture of the gospel. He ends, verse 10, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. And listen, he says that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. The word adorn there comes from the same word we get our word cosmetics. Again, we beautify the gospel. So a woman who rocks, she's motivated. What's she motivated by? She's motivated by gospel and about the ministry. She cares about ministry. She cares about evangelism. She cares about whether or not her neighbor sees Christ in her home. She cares about whether or not her coworker sees Christ in her. She cares about whether or not her classmate comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. She's motivated. This woman is involved in ministry. She's not a ministry. You know the difference? <laughs> she values it. She values the gospel. She values the word of God. And she cares what her testimony is around those people God brings into her life. So ladies, put on the lipstick of a kind tongue, the blush of purity and innocence, a foundation of godliness, eyeliner of compassion, a mascara mascara of sincerity and kindness. I've made reference a couple times to a list, right? Some of us are past the list, right? Some of you, some of you are not. And you could all show me your list. Question. Married or single? Teenager or senior adult? Question. What do you look like on a list? Is there there any of this in your life? Hey, guys, we had our list yesterday, right? <laughs> I was honest with you. There's, there's some times where i got to work on one more than the other. Just being honest. Last night when I got home, I, I got back to the room. My wife didn't want to talk. She was tired. I was like, finally, <laughs> you go to bed first, right? We, we tried to talk. Anyway. There's some of you who say you're saved and you say you're a Christian. But to be honest... There's very little of this in your life. At some point, we've got to admit something's wrong. 
There is no desire for the word of the things of God. There is no desire for evangelism and seeing other people say. There is no desire to submit to Christ or to submit my husband as to the Lord. There's no desire to practice biblical leadership and servant-like leadership. There's no fruit or evidence. At some point, you've got to get honest and go, dude, something is missing. I don't care what prayer you prayed, and I don't care how old you were when you prayed it. If there is no fruit and no change, I refuse to believe, based on the authority of God's word, that the spirit of the living God can be inside of you. And there's no change and no desire for the things of God. I, I don't say this to be mean. I say this to, to be honest. I, I really don't need anything else to do in my life. I didn't come here just to go through the motions, I promise. Just like all of you, I'm busy and I have a family. I did, so I come, and when I come, I shoot you straight. At what point are you going to have to admit something is missing? Because you can try to do all this stuff. Well, there's my list. I'm going to work through these things Pastor Larry said, but there's, it's not happening. It's not happening. Listen, the spirit of the living God has to be inside of you to do these things. It takes the grace and the power of God, which begins at the point of salvation when I humble myself before Christ and say, I need you, Jesus. Some of you don't need another list in your marriage. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. God, we give you our home. Some of you may be here tonight because you've seen the gospel lived out in the life of a friend or a classmate and a coworker so much so that you think, I'm not real sure about this whole God thing, but I've seen something different about them. And so if this is where they're going, maybe I'll go and get some of it. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's Jesus. In just a minute, Everybody in this room pretty much is going to stand and begin to sing a hymn or song of invitation. And when we do, ministers from this church are going to be right down here at the front. And there very well may be someone in this room tonight who needs to walk up to one of these men we're singing and say, I need Christ in my life. We need Christ in our marriage. I want to be a teenager who lives and loves, loves and lives for Jesus Christ. I need to be saved and forgiven. You need to start. There are others of you who are already saved. You know that you're saved and you've borne fruit that gives evidence to the fact that you're saved, but things just ain't right. You need a fresh touch from God. You say, God, there's so much in this list. I feel like I'm just not there. And just tonight in a fresh way, I'm surrendering to you and saying, God, I want to be a godly woman. I want to be known for the things that are associated with you and your character and your nature. I want other people to see that. I want the gospel to be personified through my life. God, in a fresh way, I give you me. Might be a teenage boy or young lady here tonight who might come and find a place with the altar and say, God, I've been playing games. God, someday I want to grow up and have a godly home if you let me. I'll be a godly mom, a godly dad. I'm just admitting I can't do it without you. But right here, right now, by your grace, I want to draw a line in the sand and say I'm willing. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes.